Volume 2, Chapter 3, Part 1 of Cecilia. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Cecilia, Memoirs of an Heiress by Frances Burney. Volume 2, Chapter 3, A Masquerade, Part 1. The first check this tranquillity received was upon the day of the masquerade, the preparations for which have already been mentioned. The whole house was then in commotion from various arrangements and improvements which were planned for almost every apartment that was to be opened for the reception of masks. Cecilia herself, however little pleased with the attendant circumstances of wantonly accumulating unnecessary debts, was not the least animated of the party. She was a stranger to every diversion of this sort and from the novelty of the scene hoped for uncommon satisfaction. At noon Mrs. Harrel sent for her to consult upon a new scheme which occurred to Mr. Harrel, of fixing in fantastic forms some colored lamps in the drawing-room. While they were all discoursing this matter over, one of the servants, who had two or three times whispered some message to Mr. Harrel, and then retired, said in a voice not too low to be heard by Cecilia, "'Indeed, sir, I can't get him away.' "'He's an insolent scoundrel,' answered Mr. Harrel. "'However, if I must speak to him, I must,' and went out of the room. Mrs. Harrel still continued to exercise her fancy upon this new project, calling both upon Mr. Arnott and Cecilia to admire her taste and contrivance, till they were all interrupted by the loudness of a voice from below stairs, which frequently repeated, "'Sir, I can wait no longer. I have been put off till I can be put off no more.' Startled by this, Mrs. Harrel ceased her employment, and they all stood still and silent. Then they heard Mr. Harrel, with much softness, answer, "'Good Mr. Rawlins, have a little patience. I shall receive a large sum of money to-morrow, or next day, and you may then depend upon being paid.' "'Sir,' cried the man, "'you have so often told me the same that it goes just for nothing. I have had a right to it a long time, and I have a bill to make up that can't be waited for any longer.' "'Certainly, Mr. Rawlins,' replied Mr. Harrel, with still increasing gentleness, "'and certainly you shall have it. Nobody means to dispute your right. I only beg you to wait a day or two days at furthest, and you may then depend upon being paid. And you shall not be the worse for obliging me. I will never employ anybody else, and I shall have occasion for you very soon, as I intend to make some alterations at Violet Bank that will be very considerable.' "'Sir,' said the man, still louder, it is of no use your employing me if I can never get my money. All my workmen must be paid, whether I am or no. And so, if I must need speak to a lawyer, why, there's no help for it. Did you ever hear anything so impertinent? exclaimed Mrs. Harrel. I am sure Mr. Harrel would be very much to blame if ever he lets that man do anything more for him. Just then, Mr. Harrel appeared, and with an air of affected unconcern said, "'Here's the most insolent rascal of a mason below stairs I ever met with in my life. "'He has come upon me, quite unexpectedly, with a bill of four hundred pounds, "'and won't leave the house without the money. "'Brother Arnott, I wish you would do me the favour to speak to the fellow, "'for I could not bear to stay with him any longer. "'Do you wish me to give him a draft for the money upon my own banker?' "'That would be vastly obliging,' answered Mr. Harrel. "'And I will give you my note for it directly.' and so we shall get rid of this fellow at once, and he shall do nothing more for me as long as he lives. I will run up a new building at Violet Bake next summer, if only to show him what a job he has lost. 
pay the man at once. There is a good brother, cried Mrs. Harrel, and let's hear no more of him. The two gentlemen then retired to another room, and Mrs. Harrel, after praising the extreme good nature of her brother, of whom she was very fond, and declaring that the mason's impertinence had quite frightened her, again returned to her plan of new decorations. Cecilia, amazed at this indifference to the state of her husband's affairs, began to think it was her own duty to talk with her upon the subject, and therefore, after a silence so marked that Mrs. Harrel inquired into its reason, she said, "'Will you pardon me, my dear friend, if I own I am rather surprised to see you continue these preparations?' "'Lord, why?' "'Because any fresh, unnecessary expenses just now, till Mr. Harrel actually receives the money he talks of—' "'Why, my dear, the expense of such a thing as this is nothing. In Mr. Harrel's affairs, I assure you, it will not be at all felt. Besides, he expects money so soon that it is just the same as if he had had it already.' Cecilia, unwilling to be too officious, began then to express her admiration for the goodness and generosity of Mr. Arnott, taking frequent occasion in the course of her praise to insinuate that those only can be properly liberal who are just and economical. She had prepared no masquerade habit for this evening, as Mrs. Harrel, by whose direction she was guided, informed her that it was not necessary for ladies to be masked at home, and said she should receive her company herself in a dress which she might wear upon any other occasion. Mr. Harrel also, and Mr. Arnott, made not any alteration in their appearance. At about eight o'clock the business of the evening began, and before nine there were so many masks that Cecilia wished she had herself made one of the number as she was far more conspicuous in being almost the only female in a common dress than any masquerade habit could have made her the novelty of the scene however joined to the general air of gaiety diffused throughout the company shortly lessened her embarrassment and after being somewhat familiarized to the abruptness with which the masks approached her and the freedom with which they looked at or addressed her the first confusion of her situation subsided and in her curiosity to watch others she ceased to observe how much she was watched herself. Her expectations of entertainment were not only fulfilled but surpassed. The variety of dresses, the medley of characters, the quick succession of figures, and the ludicrous mixture of groups kept her attention unwearied, while the conceited efforts at wit, the total thoughtlessness of consistency, and the ridiculous incongruity of the language with the appearance were incitements to surprise and diversion without end. Even the local cant of, Do you know me? Who are you? And I know you, with the sly pointing of the finger, the arch nod of the head, and the pert squeak of the voice, though wearisome to those who frequent such assemblies, were, to her unhackneyed observation, additional subjects of amusement. Soon after nine o'clock every room was occupied, and the common crowd of regular masqueraders were dispersed through the various apartments. Dominoes of no character and fancy dressers of no meaning made, as is usual at such meetings, the general herd of the company. For the rest, the men were Spaniards, chimney-sweepers, Turks, watchmen, conjurers, and an old women, and the ladies, shepherdesses, orange-girls, Caucasians, gypsies, haymakers, and sultanas. Cecilia had, as yet, escaped any address beyond the customary inquiry of, "'Do you know me?' and a few passing compliments. But when the rooms filled, and the general crowd gave general courage, she was attacked in a manner more pointed and singular. The very first mask who approached her seemed to have nothing less in view than preventing the approach of every other. 
yet had he little reason to hope favour for himself as the person he represented of all others least alluring to the view was the devil he was black from head to foot save that two red horns seemed to issue from his forehead and his face was so completely covered that the sight only of his eyes was visible his feet were cloven and in his right hand he held a wand the colour of fire waving this wand as he advanced towards cecilia he cleared a semicircular space before her chair thrice with the most profound reverence bowed to her thrice turned himself around with sundry grimaces and then fiercely planted himself at her side cecilia was amused by his mummery but felt no great delight in his guardianship and after a short time arose with intention to walk to another place the black gentleman adroitly moving round her held out his wand to obstruct her passage and therefore preferring captivity to resistance she was again obliged to seat herself and hotspur who just then made his appearance was now strutting boldly towards her but the devil rushing furiously forwards placed himself immediately between them hotspur putting his arms akimbo with an air of defiance gave a loud stamp with his right foot and then marched into another room the victorious devil ostentatiously waved his wand and returned to his station mr arnett who had never moved two yards from cecilia knowing her too well to suppose she received any pleasure from being thus distinguished modestly advanced to offer his assistance in releasing her from confinement but the devil again describing a circle with his wand gave him three such smart raps on the head that his hair was disordered and his face covered with powder a general laugh succeeded and mr arnott too diffident to brave raillery or withstand shame retired in confusion the black gentleman seemed now to have all authority in his own hands and his wand was brandished with more ferocity than ever no one again venturing to invade the domain he thought fit to appropriate for his own at length however a don quixote appeared and every mask in the room was eager to point out to him the imprisonment of cecilia this don quixote was accoutred with tolerable exactness according to the description of the admirable cervantes his armour was rusty his helmet was a barber's basin his shield a pewter dish and his lance an old sword fastened to a slim cane his figure tall and thin was well adapted to the character he represented and his mask which depicted a lean and haggard face worn with care yet fiery with crazy passions exhibited with propriety the most striking the knight of the doleful countenance the complaints against the devil with which immediately and from all quarters he was assailed he heard with the most solemn taciturnity after which making a motion for general silence he stalked majestically towards cecilia but stopping short of the limits prescribed by her guard he kissed his spear in token of allegiance and then slowly dropping upon one knee began the following address most incomparable princess thus humbly prostrate at the feet of your divine and ineffable beauty graciously permit the most pitiful of your servitors don quixote de la mancha from your high and tender grace to salute the fair boards which sustain your corporeal machine then bending down his head he kissed the floor after which raising himself upon his feet he proceeded in his speech report o most fair and unmatchable virgin daringly affirmeth that a certain discourteous person who calleth himself the devil even now and in thwart of your fair inclinations keepeth and detaineth your irradiant frame in hostile thraldom 
Suffer, then, magnanimous and undescribable lady, that I, the most groveling of your unworthy vassals, do sift the fair truth out of this foul sieve, and obsequiously bending to your divine attractions, conjure your highness veritably to inform me if that honourable chair which haply supports your terrestrial perfections containeth the inimitable burthen with the free and legal consent of your celestial spirit. Here he ceased, and Cecilia, who laughed at this characteristic address, though she had not courage to answer it, again made an effort to quit her place but again, by the wand of her black persecutor, was prevented. This little incident was answer sufficient for the valorous knight, who indignantly exclaimed, "'Sublime lady! I beseech but of your exquisite mercy to refrain mouldering the clay composition of my unworthy body to impalpable dust by the refulgence of those bright stars vulgarly called eyes, till I have lawfully wreaked my vengeance upon this unobliging caitiff.' for his most disloyal obstruction of your highness's adorable pleasure. Then, bowing low, he turned from her, and thus addressed his intended antagonist. Uncourtly miscreant, the black garment which envelopeth thy most unpleasant person seemeth even of the most ravishing whiteness in compare of the black bile which floateth within thy sable interior. Behold, then, my gauntlet! Yet ere I deign to be the instrument of thy extirpation, O oh, thou most mean and ignoble enemy, that the honour of Don Quixote de la Mancha may not be sullied by thy extinction, I do here confer upon thee the honour of knighthood, dubbing thee, by my own sword, Don Devil, knight of the horrible physiognomy. He then attempted to strike his shoulder with his spear, but the black gentleman, adroitly eluding the blow, defended himself with his wand. A mock fight ensued, conducted on both sides with admirable dexterity. But Cecilia, less eager to view it than to become again a free agent, made her escape into another apartment, while the rest of the ladies, though they almost all screamed, jumped upon chairs and sofas to peep at the combat. In conclusion, the wand of the Knight of the Horrible Physiognomy was broken against the shield of the Knight of the Doleful Countenance, upon which Don Quixote called out, Victoria! The whole room echoed the sound, the unfortunate new knight retired abruptly into another apartment, and the conquering Don, seizing the fragments of the weapon of his vanquished enemy, went out in search of the lady, for whose releasement he had fought. And the moment he found her, prostrating both himself and the trophies at her feet, he again pressed the floor with his lips, and then, slowly arising, repeated his reverences with added formality, and without waiting her acknowledgments, gravely retired. The moment he departed, a Minerva, not stately nor austere, not marching in warlike majesty, but gay and airy, tripping on light fantastic toe, ran up to Cecilia and squeaked out, "'Do you know me?' "'Not,' answered she, instantly recollecting Miss Laurel. "'By your appearance, I own, but by your voice, I think I can guess you.' "'I was monstrous sorry,' returned the goddess, without understanding this distinction, "'that I was not at home when you called upon me.' "'Pray, how do you like my dress? "'I assure you I think it's the prettiest here. "'But do you know there's the most shocking thing in the world happened in the next room? "'I really believe there's a common chimney-sweeper got in. "'I assure you it's enough to frighten one to death, "'for every time he moves the soot smells so you can't think. "'Quite real soot, I assure you. "'Only conceive how nasty. "'I declare I wish with all my heart it would suffocate him.' Here she was interrupted by the reappearance of Don Devil, 
who, looking round him and perceiving that his antagonist was gone, again advanced to Cecilia, not, however, with the authority of his first approach, for with his wand he had lost much of his power, but to recompense himself for this disgrace, he had recourse to another method equally effectual for keeping his prey to himself, for he began a growling so dismal and disagreeable that while many of the ladies, and among the first the goddess of wisdom and courage, ran away to avoid him, the men all stood aloof to watch what next was to follow. Cecilia now became seriously uneasy, for she was made an object of general attention, yet could neither speak nor be spoken to. She could suggest no motive for her behaviour so whimsical, though she imagined the only person who could have the assurance to practise it was Sir Robert Floyer. After some time spent thus disagreeably, a white domino, who for a few minutes had been very attentive spectator, suddenly came forward and exclaiming, "'I'll cross him, though he blast me!' rushed upon the fiend, and grasping one of his horns, called out to a harlequin, who stood near him, "'Harlequin, do you fear to fight the devil?' "'Not I, truly,' answered Harlequin, whose voice immediately betrayed young Morris, and who, issuing from the crowd, whirled himself round before the black gentleman with yet more agility than he had himself done before Celia, giving him, from time to time, many smart blows on his shoulders, head, and back with his wooden sword. The rage of Don Devil at this attack seemed somewhat beyond what a masquerade character rendered necessary. He foamed at the mouth with resentment, and defended himself with so much vehemence that he soon drove poor Harlequin into another room. But when he would have returned to his prey, the genius of pantomime, curbed but not subdued at the instigation of the white domino, returned to the charge, and by a perpetual rotation of attack and retreat kept him in constant employment pursuing him from room to room, and teasing him without cessation or mercy. Meantime, Cecilia, delighted at being released, hurried into a corner where she hoped to breathe and look on in quiet, and the white domino, having exhorted Harlequin to torment the tormentor, and keep him at bay, followed her with congratulations upon her recovered freedom. "'It is you,' answered she. "'I ought to thank for it, which indeed I do most heartily. I was so tired of confinement that my mind seemed almost as little at liberty as my person. Your persecutor, I presume, said the domino, is known to you? I hope so, answered she, because there is one man I suspect, and I should be sorry to find there was another equally disagreeable. Oh, depend upon it, cried he, there are many who would be happy to confine you in the same manner. Neither have you much cause for complaint. You have, doubtless, been the aggressor, and played this game yourself without mercy, for I read in your face the captivity of thousands. Have you, then, any right to be offended at the spirit of retaliation which one, out of such numbers, has courage to exert in return? I protest, cried Cecilia. I took you for my defender. Whence is it you became my accuser? From seeing the danger to which my incautious knight-errantry has exposed me. I begin, indeed, to take you for a very mischievous sort of person, and I fear the poor devil from whom I rescued you will be amply revenged for his disgrace, by finding that the first use you make of your freedom is to doom your deliverer to bondage. Here they were disturbed by the extreme loquacity of two opposite parties, and listening attentively they heard from one side, "'My angel, fairest of creatures!' goddess of my heart uttered in accents of rapture while from the other the vociferation was so violent that they could distinctly hear nothing the white domino satisfied his curiosity by going to both parties and then returning to cecilia said can you conjecture who was making those soft speeches a shylock his knife all the while in his hand and his design doubtless to 
cut as near the heart as possible, while the loud cackling from the other side is owing to the riotous merriment of a noisy mentor. When next I hear a disturbance, I shall expect to see some simpering Pythagoras stunned by his talkative disciples. To own the truth, said Cecilia, the almost universal neglect of the characters assumed by these maskers has been the chief source of my entertainment this evening. For at a place of this sort, the next best thing to a character well supported is a character ridiculously burlesqued. You cannot then have wanted amusement, returned the domino, for among all the persons assembled in these apartments, I have seen only three who have seemed conscious that any change but that of dress was necessary to disguise them. And pray, who are those? A Don Quixote, a schoolmaster, and your friend the devil. "'Oh, call him not my friend!' exclaimed Cecilia, "'for indeed, in or out of that garb, he is particularly my aversion.' "'My friend, then, I will call him,' said the domino. "'For so were he ten devils, I must think him, "'since I owe to him the honour of conversing with you. "'And, after all, to give him his due, "'to which you know he is proverbially entitled, "'he has shown much abilities in the performance of his part, "'so much skill in the display of malice, "'and so much perseverance in the art of tormenting, "'that I cannot but respect his ingenuity and capacity. "'And, indeed, if instead of an evil genius "'he had represented a guardian angel, "'he could not have shown a more refined taste "'in his choice of an object to hover about. "'Just then they were approached by a young haymaker, to whom the white domino called out. "'You look as gay and as brisk as if fresh from the hayfield after only half a day's work. Pray, how is it you pretty lasses find employment for the winter?' "'How?' cried she pertly. "'Why, the same is for the summer.' And pleased with her own readiness at repartee, without feeling the ignorance it betrayed, she tripped lightly on. Immediately after, the schoolmaster mentioned by the white domino advanced to Cecilia. His dress was merely a long wrapping gown of green stuff, a pair of red slippers, and a woolen nightcap of the same color, while, as the symbol of his profession, he held a rod in his hand. "'Ah, fair lady,' he cried, "'how soothing were it to the austerity of my life! How softening to the rigidity of my manners might I, without a breaking out of bounds, which I ought to be the first to discourage, and a confusion to all order, for which the schoolboy should himself chastise his master,' Be permitted to cast at your feet this emblem of my authority, and to forget, in the softness of your conversation, all the roughness of discipline. No, no, cried Cecilia, I will not be answerable for such corruption of taste. This repulse, answered he, is just what I feared, for alas, under what pretense could a poor miserable country pedagogue presume to approach you? Should I examine you in the dead languages? Would not your living accents charm from me all power of reproof? Could I look at you, and hear a false concord? Should I doom you to water-gruel as a dunce? Would not my subsequent remorse make me want it myself as a madman? Were your fair hand spread out to me for correction, should I help applying my lips to it instead of my rattan? If I ordered you to be called up, should I ever remember to have you sent back? And if I commanded you to stand in a corner, how should I forbear following you thither myself? Cecilia, who had no difficulty in knowing this pretended schoolmaster for Mr. Gospert, was readily beginning to propose conditions for according him her favour, when their ears were assailed by a forced physical cough, which they found proceeded from an apparent old woman, who was a young man in disguise, and whose hobbling gait, grunting voice, and most grievous asthmatic complaints seemed greatly enjoyed and applauded by the company. 
How true is it, yet how inconsistent, cried the white domino, that while we all desire to live long, we have all a horror of being old. The figure now passing is not meant to ridicule any particular person, nor to stigmatize any particular absurdity. Its sole view is to expose to contempt and derision the general and natural infirmities of age, and the design is not more disgusting than impolitic. For why, while well, so carefully we guard from all approaches of death, should we close the only avenues to happiness and long life, respect and tenderness? Cecilia, delighted both by the understanding and humanity of her new acquaintance, and pleased at being joined by Mr. Gosport, was beginning to be perfectly satisfied with her situation, when, creeping softly towards her, she again perceived the black gentleman. "'Ah!' cried she, with some vexation, "'here comes my old tormentor. Screen me from him, if possible, or he will again make me his prisoner.' "'Fear not,' cried the white domino. "'He is an evil spirit, and we will surely lay him. If one spell fails, we must try another.' Cecilia, then perceiving Mr. Arnott, begged he would also assist in barricading her from the fiend who so obstinately pursued her. Mr. Arnott most gratefully acceded to the proposal, and the white domino, who acted as commanding officer, assigned to each his station, he desired Cecilia would keep quietly to her seat, appointed the schoolmaster to be her guard on the left, took possession himself of the opposite post, and ordered Mr. Arnott to stand sentinel in front. This arrangement being settled, the guards of the right and left wings instantly secured their places, but while Mr. Arnott was considering whether it were better to face the besieged or the enemy, the arch-foe rushed suddenly before him, and laid himself down at the feet of Cecilia. End of chapter 3, part 1